This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Airway. Um, It's about that time of year where you might replace summer beach reading um, during the of the last few months uh, with something like work or textbooks. Um, Or if you're craving a good narrative read, maybe something that has a little bit more teeth to it. So I highly recommend a book that is enormously entertaining, yet also bravely dark, and it's a true story um, by my author that I'm joined with today. So she has just written a memoir called Comfort Food Diaries, My Quest for the Perfect Dish to Mend a Broken Heart, and it is none other than Emily Nunn, who is joined by phone. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And uh, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful read. I am totally engrossed, just like from the first few pages. Um, I was totally engrossed from the first few pages. And it's it's a marvelous book. And I have to say, you have been getting... Um, it comes out Tuesday, so... It does, we're still, yeah. We're still in the pre- sneak preview phase. Um, but you've been getting um, comparisons to... Uh, the Biting Humor of David Sedaris, The Emotional Honesty of Cheryl Strayed, and um, In the Tradition of Elizabeth Gilbert and Ruth Rochelle. So those are, you know, pretty pretty good company. Uh, what do you make yeah. of all this? <laughs> well, um, oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'm a little overwhelmed right now, actually, because um, I've, I, I'm under-socialized. I've been sort of in isolation <laughs> for three years. Um, so While writing it, this, yeah, I, yeah, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, I really I've been living out, you know, in uh, rural farmland, and now trying to get back into, you know, being a human being. So <laughs> if I start yelling or <laughs> I don't stop talking, just tell me to stop. <laughs> I mean, I see people in the grocery store and they ask me, you know, do you know how much hamburger is? And I'll, you know, talk for three hours about it. It's really embarrassing. That's so funny. Um, but so you... I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> That's that's so exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, congratulations. I think it should be a Thank very you. exciting launch. Um, but, you know, you've written for decades about food in New York and in Chicago. So you've been a, a 10-year contributor for The New Yorker, or staff writer, that is, right. where you created the Tables for Two column, the magazine's restaurant column. You've also right. been a staff reporter for the Chicago Tribune as the food and features reporter. So. Right. Um, yeah, so lots of time in, in and around food writing, and you're now still a freelance food writer. Um, but what do you think, I mean, did you ever imagine that you'd write a memoir that never. had to do with food? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. I mean, I, um, 
you know, I went from the New Yorker magazine, um, and by the way, I co-created Tables for Two. Okay. I mean, I don't want to take complete credit for that. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But I left the New Yorker um, for the Chicago Tribune because they said, you know, we want to make you a full-time writer. And at the New Yorker, a lot of us were editors, and our dream was to get published more. And I was doing freelance for Vogue and Elle and some other magazines. And the Tribune came along out of nowhere about a year after September 11th and offered me a full-time writing job. And I kind of, I had to, it was like an offer that I couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also trial by fire. I went from, you know, mostly editing into being a daily deadline reporter. Um, and now I can't remember what your question was. Oh, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, so all this, you know, reporting, uh, journalism, and then all of a sudden food narrative memoir. It's, right. uh, it's um, a different genre. It is. It is. And um, even though, you know, the kind of reporting that I did at the Tribune, um, I did a lot of features reporting. I followed a lot of people around at their jobs, and I did a lot of process reporting. Um, and food was what I did at the beginning. Um, and then towards the end, when they started laying people off, I um, asked to be switched from regular features, and I had been a food columnist, restaurant columnist, to actually doing good eating, which was writing about cooking and mm-hmm. testing recipes and so my last time you know last year and a half there it was okay. in the test kitchen um writing about interviewing chefs too um and it was narrative but it, it wasn't about me um mm-hmm. and that believe it or not i mean i know a lot of people would jump at the opportunity to write about themselves but it was really difficult for me um you know yeah. the whole the whole the, the project sort of for me had to happen but it wasn't a natural Thing for me to talk about myself the same way it's right. not natural for me to be talking to you on the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you so, write, yeah, a, a so totally conflict. different kind of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems. I mean, I feel very fortunate to have uh, interviewed a lot of writers in what I can tell is it looks like a growing genre um, of narrative food memoirs that have come about. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but you, you're. Yeah. Right. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> No, I'll continue. I'm, like oh, okay. I said, I'll interrupt you, and then I'll start talking about something completely different. So I, I want to like try to have some sort of coherent. <laughs> no <change>. problem. No, <laughs> but I'm I'm really um I'm intrigued to learn that you know this is not something that was uh, that was premeditated too much um, on your on your part, and but you do so so not confidently. At, not at all. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I started. You know, when I was feeling super sarcastic about my life before mm-hmm. it sort of imploded. Um, I had this idea <laughs> for a book called The Dysfunctional Family Cookbook. And, oh, you know, funny. it was, I, did, I forgot about it. And then I pulled out some notes later and, you know, it had recipes in it like um, fly non-alcoholic punch with vodka, you know, um, and sorts of things that, you know, really dark that I thought were just yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Nobody else thought it was funny in the least. So, um, I mean, I had ideas that I would do a larger writing project, but... Um, not a memoir ever. Right. And, you know, this obviously the book um, couldn't have come about if a lot of really horrible things hadn't happened. You know, one tragedy and then I guess what most people would consider um, a series of very, very um, inconvenient um, incidents, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of just kept coming. And it, it just sort of it, it kind of happened naturally, the, the, the book. Yeah. And I got to, you know, say this is really not your fluffy foodie memoir read. This is really this is you really encounter all the dark spaces that yeah. um, you can. So 
just to kind of acquaint re- uh, listeners with um, the major plot lines that occur, would it be okay if I read a little bit from a little tidbit from the intro? Absolutely, better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's so beautifully written. I hope I read it okay. Thank um, you. So you write: After the breakup, as my life started to spark and smell like smoke, I poured alcohol on it and watched it burst into blazes, as if I were preparing Cherry's Jubilee for a crowd. Sometimes only a flaming dish can serve as the proper ending to a dramatic meal. Uh, One night I drank several glasses of Sauvignon Blanc and, in a fit of uncensored self-pity, broadcast the details of of my wrecked life on Facebook for the unsolicited elucidation of around 350 so-called friends. Pouring out my heart, I wept a bit while I typed, pausing to gaze to my floor-to-ceiling windows at Lake Michigan. Uh, It went something like this. My brother's funeral was three weeks ago, and my fiancé just broke up with me. I have almost no money, no job, no home, no car, no child to pick up after school, no dog to feed, no one to care for. I am cold and alone. It was actually a lot more detailed than that, but a lot more embarrassingly melodramatic, but I deleted it, and I don't remember all of it, nor do I ever wish to. Uh, okay. So the ne- the morning after my pathetic post, I swallowed my slightly hungover dread and longed on to receive a remarkable surprise. Instead of punishment for my honesty, I had be- been rewarded with kindness. The little Facebook comment button displayed a big number, but it was not the sign of virtual scolding. It turned out to be a bright flag signaling that people from all around the country were willing to come down to the river with me, so to speak, so I wouldn't be alone. Uh, Wow. So <laughs> this is at the same time very familiar and uh, a very extreme occurrence. So because mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I think that everyone has seen people pour out their heart on to their friends on Facebook oh, sure. when they're in Sure. Need. And I can spot those people, you know, like uh, raccoons on the side of the road, as Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> used to say. I mean, I know I can I having done that. And, and again, that was kind of a mild version of what I write on Facebook. And and uh-huh. family members say, um, Emily, you might want to take that down from getting a job in the future. And I was like, like a job is even, you know, that's the last of my worries. <laughs> I took it down, you know, because I think it made, you know, people in my family uncomfortable. But, you know, it was pretty detailed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been drinking, of all things, Sauvignon Blanc. And um, the, the next day, though, was just unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. it was... You know, and I don't know if people who do what I did get that kind of reaction. I mean, there were hundreds of of remarks and comments. Because I find now that, you know, lots of people, when they have that kind of on, you know, in the ether, but public nervous Mm -hmm. breakdown, they kind of get scolded. Um, It's become, I think, you know, not the thing to do. And you get unfriended a lot. That didn't happen to me, and I don't know why. (laughs) Wow. I don't know why they didn't unfriend me, but they, they you know, people came well, out it's and not like... actually gave me the idea for the book. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, the Comfort Food Diaries. So you got so many wonderful responses, and it's, it sounds like for thanks to so many of your friends being um, foodies themselves or exactly. maybe professional foodies and um, just people who loved food, a lot of right. the offers and, and invitations you got were around, let's go, let me make something for you. Exactly. Together. It was amazing. Yeah. You say that Facebook kind of saved your life. <laughs> I think that's um, yeah. a wonderful sort of, uh, you know, we hear a lot about the Internet destroying lives, but it seems like the opposite in this case. Right. Um, well, I've done both. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it is, 
I, like most people, you know, I've sent plenty of emails where I, you know, I should have, you know, put them in the draft folder. But in this instance, yeah, it was a really beautiful thing. I mean, I, I really can safely say that Facebook saved me. Um, I can't hit that note hard enough. Um, and, you know, a lot, has, a lot has changed on Facebook in, you know, in the years since this happened. But, um, you know, it, it still strikes me as kind of an amazing thing that we're able to communicate that, communicate that way and come together and have a community. I mean, I was struck by the idea that while I was typing and weeping, you know, in the dark, that there were other people all around the country, you know, at their computer terminals, and they were they were being together with me mm-hmm. um, over food, which and ended up being the premise of the book. Mm-hmm. And your honesty also sparked more honest responses from folks, and you would have never guessed some of the hardships they went through. Um, exactly. So it's definitely it was definitely a tool to create a very unique sense of community. Very very. Instantly, perhaps maybe that's Facebook's role. Is like you can do it to everybody at the same time and um, hear back immediately, uh, right? But right, but, and it, it did bring people sort of you know, it, I, I and I you know obviously that's what I hope the book will do. It people identified with it, and so they were able to open up to me about similar things that are not similar, but you know, heartbreak um, in its many different forms. People opened up to me about that, and it helped me. And mm-hmm. I think it helped them, but it also really helped me a lot at mm-hmm. that time in my life. And I love that you didn't just stop there. Um, inspired by a friend who said, oh, you know, after all these offers and invitations, they said, oh, you should do a comfort food journey. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you, you didn't just, you know, leave it at there. You You took this in real life and went mm-hmm. and visited, reconnected with people um, in this community that was no longer just a virtual community. Um, right. So this is... Uh, that was my friend Eileen. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long did that take, this whole comfort food travels? Or is it still going on? I'm curious. Well, um, it didn't happen right away. I mean, mm-hmm. you read the book, so you know that before I could, you know, go on this merry little tour <laughs> with all my friends and eating delicious food. I fell apart, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, when I was thinking about this recently, a lot of what happens in the book um, took place when I was still pretty lost. I mean, you know, I know a lot of books that have sort of a device like this. You know, they give themselves, you know, 365 days. Um, I visited people. Um, I started visiting people before I even had the idea, you know, had a book contract. Um, and then, though, um, while I was writing, once I started writing, which started about a year after the bad incident, mm-hmm. um, then I kept visiting people because I found that, you know, I my, my life started changing and writing itself into the book in really good and bad ways. And so it continued... Um, the, the last chapter of the book, which is um, when I'm working in a lodge in North Carolina, um, that was a full two and a half years later. Mm-hmm. So this is writing, um, yeah, in real time and uh, yeah, totally much organic. Yeah, I skip over stuff, but yeah. Um, I mean, there are some things that happened, you know, it, it's, what is it, 2017, um, in the last five years, five and a half years, that are in there in you know, uh, in a way, but not as far as chronologically, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. 
um, my life has changed a lot. I'm a completely different person in a lot of ways. Wow. So, but everything is so fresh as you're writing it. It's, it's, you know, it's happening as you write. And uh, without that, you know, that, uh, I guess, the re- re- reflection or like the, what is it called? The distance, I guess, of looking back on another time. Um, I, think, I think it's really interesting to read uh, a writer who is going through everything in real time and, and maybe finding comfort. Was it sort of therapeutic to write? Too? I mean, Diaries yeah, is in the title. Absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, you know, in fact, I remember the first real trip that I took to go visit my cousin Tony in Atlanta. I had a notebook with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was living with my aunt, my uncle John in Gaylax, Virginia, I had a notebook all the time. And in Cortland, when we went to visit the peanut maker, and, um, you know, that used to be a distraction for people around me as a reporter when I was writing about restaurants or when I was doing, you know, processed piece. But it started to become such second nature for me just to be writing everything down um, that, you know, it did become therapeutic. It was it was like um, writing, writing in a diary, uh-huh. which yeah. I've never done, yeah. by the way. I've never kept a diary in my life. I, well, I think it's so, so refreshing to read this uh, and learn about more of, like, the mechanics of, of how you wrote this. Um, it's what I kind of thought when I was reading this, but I'm, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's definitely a very different I'm, read. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it has that. Well, I wanted, I really did want it to, to be natural. And the recipes that I picked, you know, um, at first I thought, well, I should make the recipes, you know, more organic. But what I ended up deciding to do was really include the recipes for the food that I ate during this period. Mm. It's not necessarily the food that I'm eating now. Um, it's it's a real reflection of this slice of my life's life. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a food word. <laughs> but, um, right. yeah, I, so. I, tried to, I, I tried to be as natural about it as I could. I, I didn't read food memoirs. I didn't, mostly I read cookbooks. I've got a lot of reading to catch up on, including mm-hmm. newspapers. Um, but, I find cookbooks really comforting. I like to take them to bed, and mm-hmm. I love old cookbooks. So um, that was, I think mm-hmm. that kind of informed how it turned out, too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how there's, you can read about one moment you're you're meditating on bitterness, and then there's a salad with bitter, a recipe for a bitter salad with grapefruit and avocado and so forth, you know, peppered throughout this. One of my this. favorite salads. That sounds awesome right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, there's so it's many a really good salad. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it, it's it really ties in neatly and naturally, and it's not even the end of the chapter. It just goes on with the rest of the text or of the chapter right after a recipe. I thought that was that was a fun twist. I haven't seen that before. Um, we have so many themes to discuss in this book, but I want to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back. Okay, all right. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollock scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. 
New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Right. We're back chatting more with Emily Nunn, whose new book, The Comfort Food Diaries, comes out this Tuesday. Emily, are you still there? I'm still here. All right. Thanks again. Um, so we were talking about the, the sort of setup for this whole memoir, the journey that you go on. Um, and you, you, you drop a lot of interesting um, thoughts about cooking and, and its purposes in life. And I, I think it's really... Um, I think it's really interesting how many uses there are for cooking. I mean, you're clearly throughout um, a, just a diehard home cook. I think in your bio right. it says you're a home cooking evangelist. Right. <laughs> um, and you, I believe in it. Mm-hmm. And so you're writing also about, you know, this book deals with addiction and recovery. So right. I think it's interesting that you only notice, um, it, it sounds like, um, when you're at a uh, rehab at the Biddy Ford Center, you write that, you know, you're all alone, so there's nobody to cook for. Uh, your fiancé and his child, there's no longer, there are no longer people to cook for. Um, right. And that's when you realize that um, you use cooking as a way to show love or maybe try to seek love. Right. And that's when it dawned on you because you're all alone. Um, right. Yeah, because, I mean, at that point in my life, I mean, this didn't last, but um, I was out in the desert. You know, Betty Ford is out in um, Rancho Mirage, and I was in a desert town not far from there. And I was by myself in this strange landscape, and my loneliness, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't a painful loneliness. It, mm-hmm. I needed it, but not cooking I noticed that I wasn't cooking for myself. I mean, I'm yeah. eating at the salad bar at Betty Ford, which was delicious. Um, um, and I was struck by that. I was going out and, and, and getting grapefruits and oranges, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. So I was feeding myself. I never stopped eating, but I wasn't doing that thing that to me is super elemental, which is making a meal and planning a menu. Mm-hmm. And I love to go to the grocery store. And so I was really struck by the fact that you know, and this is going to sound so corny, but that I wasn't loving myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was basically, you know, having a fight with myself. Um, I was mad at myself. And so um, while, you know, comfort food, you know, per se can, can be comforting, um, you know, its opposite is, you know, it's pretty, pretty bleak. Right. Um, I mean, it's not like I, I wasn't eating at all. I always... <laughs> It seems like you're always very attentive to what you're eating. In Chicago, even though I wasn't, you know, that was a very uncomfortable situation, um, I was still cooking. Mm -hmm. I was still making food for everybody and a lot, and it made me feel better. Um, So. It's it's amazing, actually. It sounds like you were a very uh, advanced level <laughs> cook for for your family at the time. But um, one thing I think is really interesting to note, you know, we hear a lot about uh, people cooking for their family or for their children. But mm-hmm. one thing I think is really underrated 
which came to me reading your book is is the joys and the benefits and just wonderful wonderfulness of cooking for others who are old friends or family right. members who are not part of your immediate family. Right. Like, why don't we do and that more often? I don't yeah. know. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, um, I love, I, I would so much rather cook with people. This has taught me from cooking when I'm by myself, which I've been a lot lately. But there's just something, you know, if, if you're at the least bit stumped about how to show your affectionate, for, you know, your affection for someone, make them a sandwich, you know? I mean, and I consider a lot of different things cooking, you know, mm-hmm. boiling some, you don't have to be a master chef. I mean, boiling some no, shrimp providing. and then yeah. buying a lot of cocktail sauce and, you know, sure. but doing it for someone else is, you know, it's again, really corny, but it's a separate language. It's, it is. You you don't have to feel corny. You you nobody ever rejects food. You know you don't get rejected. But I think that <laughs> is the fear. Is people do, love. every time I hear people's you know who, who don't like to cook. It's for others especially. It's just like oh they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid they're not mm-hmm. good enough at cooking. Right. But you know as you mentioned, you could just thaw some shrimp and put out some cocktail right. sauce. So, yeah. I mean, there's a saying, you know, I don't remember where it came from, but, you know, in my book, um, the best damn sandwich is the one that someone else makes for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I make great sandwiches, but if you make me a BLT, you know, I'll follow you around for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Your your BLT is somehow better than mine, and it's because you made it for me. It's that simple. Yeah, you came up with something that I wouldn't have because you're mm-hmm. you. Um, I, I love that that's explored throughout this book and, and, all, and you know, getting to know people on that other level, um, and I, you know, through food, uh, whether or not that person is even a foodie or, you know, right. it's, it's a great lesson to take away from this book. Um, yep. The other is just the idea of like reconnecting with so many people um, throughout the life uh, that you know, was helping to bring you back to, to where you are. So, um, I I think that it's an amazing and brave journey. Now, did you reading throughout all these visits and, you know, travels that you took, did you sort of plot out a course or did you just let yourself be guided organically? Um, once you decided to write a book about this? Well, it was, a, it was a little bit of both. In fact, um, you know, I had this bag that I carried around at Betty Ford, and when I actually realized, okay, I really do need to do this. I need to go make these trips and make this a real project. Um, and it was partly out of necessity, too. I mean, I really didn't have any place to go. So um, I found this list of people that I wanted to visit and people who ended up in the book, and I have friends who got cut just because the book got big and rambling. Yeah, I was wondering um, about, yeah, how that works. Yeah, mm-hmm. people people got cut, and chefs got cut, and um, but it was a little bit of both. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that just unfolded naturally, and since I was taking notes constantly um, and taking photographs, because I take tons of pictures wherever I go, um, I kind of had to cull um, and, and make the book around it. Mm-hmm. But to, the short answer is both of those things. I, right. I, I plotted it a little, and then I also let it happen. So, of course, in the title, The Comfort Food Diaries, um, what is the meaning of comfort food to you? Well, like, is there any such thing as the perfect comfort food? Well, someone asked me that the other day, <laughs> and, you know, I 
my final, final takeaway from this book is that comfort food, whatever you decide, and especially for women, it should not be something um, that you have to eat in a closet. It should never make you feel ashamed. If oh. you're going to eat cupcakes in the closet, pick another comfort food. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I did a lot of research about comfort food, believe it or not, while I was doing the book, and there were these studies that well, said that women yeah. tended to eat junk food, M&Ms and pretzels, and men always want a casserole. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, of course, because women feel this stress about feeding their family. So a casserole is like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to get it done by five? So, you know, if you if you really do want to eat two cartons of, of Ben and Jerry's, do it and feel proud of it. Um, but otherwise, you really have to find that thing that rings your chime. Um, it shouldn't be something that makes you feel ashamed. Right. Or That's, that's y- my final... Um, <laughs> So many meetings to that, like the private comfort food that is guilt-inducing. How did eating get get to that place, (laughs) you know, when it's supposed to be? And it sure has, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, it just reminds me, and this is not necessarily always true. I mean, years ago, um, many, many years ago, like three fiancés ago, um, I had a breakup, and the man left, and I got donuts, and so I. <laughs> hey, that's comforting. I, I can't eat donuts now; yeah. they make me sick because you know sugar, fried, refined flour. I mean, I love them; I'll, I'll take a bite. But I, ate, I started eating donuts, and I started crying because you know I was sad. And then I started crying because I was eating donuts alone, <laughs> and then that made me start laughing because I was eating donuts alone and crying. And so it kind of turned from, you know, bad comfort food into good comfort food because it made me make fun of myself for being so melodramatic, you know? Right, right. Like, we're so, always thinking somebody's looking at us, too, when, when right. we eat these things, when really, actually, just own it. <laughs> right. And and if you if you want to make a casserole and it makes you stressed out, you know, then do go and get a Stouffer's lasagna if that's what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, I I, th- I hope that a lot of people will be a lot more um, or a lot less hindered when it comes to cooking and also just enjoying food um, after reading this really really remarkable book. Um, I oh, thank you. I continue learning so many just like little insights throughout uh, from this book. So um, unfortunately, though, that's about all the time we have for today. But uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us to discuss. Oh, Kathy, thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, so Comfort Food Diaries comes out this Tuesday from Atria Books, and uh, it's a triumphant story, I should say. I know we talked a lot about, you know, the kind of dark details, but it is truly um, a wonderful journey with a happy ending. So, Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> As I really appreciate it, Gabby. Yeah, and thank you so much again, and uh, thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Never, 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 never had no loving like this before.